Good morning. Happy 4th of July Eve to you all. <laughs> We're going to get our services started and get ready to worship. We're excited that you're here. Are you guys excited to spend some time with the Lord this morning? Yes. Amen. Hi, Lisa. I'm so glad to see you guys. Let's stand together. Anybody that's out in the lobby, come on in. We're ready for you. Let's welcome the Spirit in. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, come in this morning. Have your way with us, Lord. We plan all this for you, Jesus, because we love you. We want you to feel welcome here. So, Lord, come into this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's praise him. Oh 
would you guys pray with me this morning? Lord, we thank you for being here. What an honor it is that we have the freedom to come into a public place and worship you. And is taken for granted by us here in the States. Lord, forgive us for that because there are so many people that are meeting in secret places right now that want to worship you openly, that want to share you, that want to read your Bible, and we get to do that, Lord. So I pray that we will do it boldly this morning. We need you here with us. We need you here. So we invite you to come and take over. You are the Lord God Almighty. Thank you for choosing us as your kids, for allowing us to be your people, for letting us walk into your throne room and kneel in front of you. What an honor. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. We love you. And we thank you for what you're going to do here this morning. We're waiting with expectations of mightiness, and we ask your Holy Spirit to come in and flow through this place and walk through each aisle and sit in every chair. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. Would you guys turn and greet each other, say happy 4th of July Eve to one another, and welcome each other in. We're glad you are here. Good morning. You may be seated. Welcome. Happy 4th of July weekend. I love seeing everyone in your red, white, and blue today. Hope you all have a wonderful weekend of celebration. I hope you all picked up this beautiful blue handout as you came in. I'm going to ask Usher Lance back there. If he would just go get a few handouts that are out there on the for you. If you did not get one of these, just catch his eye when he comes back, and he'll be sure and get you one of these handouts. I want you all to have a handout because there is so much great information in that handout that I don't want any of you to miss out on anything that is going on here at WLC. First thing I want to pull your attention to in that handout is one of these connection cards. This is just a great way for us to keep in touch with you. Um, it has uh, prayer requests there on the back. So if there's any way that we can be praying for you, we would love for you to write that down. And, uh, our, and there's a way that you can keep that confidential. Just check that, uh, that check box there at the bottom. And the staff, just the staff will pray for that request. But we would love to be praying for you throughout the week. 
Also on the other side, there's an opportunity to write down your name, and I would love to have your phone number and email address if possible. So if everybody will just go ahead and find a pen and write down your name, email address, and a phone number there, I would appreciate that. And if this is your first time worshiping with us, there's a check mark right up there at the, uh, at the, on the left-hand side that you can check that. So thank you so much for taking a few minutes uh, to do that. And in just a few minutes, we're going to um, take up our offering, and you can place that right in the offering plate as it goes by. And if you miss the offering plate, there's also a slot there that you can put it in as you leave there in the foyer. Thank you so much for doing that. Also in that handout is this little VBS card. Now I want you to know this is not for you. You cannot keep this VBS card. This is to give away. So I would like you to go home and just ask God, who can I invite to be a part of our VBS this year? It is going to be incredible, and I am so excited. I've already signed up to be a crew leader. I tell you, VBS has a special place in my heart because it was at VBS that I prayed to receive Jesus into my life. And I am so thankful for VBS because of that. So there's someone in your neighborhood that, would, that has children, I'm sure, that would love to come to VBS. And maybe they don't know the Lord, and that might be their opportunity to come to know him. So please take this home, pray over it, and give it away and invite somebody to come to VBS. We're also in need of some more volunteers. So if you would like to come and be a part of those evenings, please uh, get online there and you can sign up uh, and come and be a part of that VBS. It's going to be wonderful. Also on the 17th of this month, we're going to be staying after church for a dinner, soup and salad dinner. And I'm really looking forward to that. It's an opportunity for our teenagers to serve and raise some money to go to NYC, which is Nazarene Youth Conference. And uh, that's going to be on the 17th, so you might want to mark that on your calendar. Also, the District Prime Timers Retreat's coming up August 26th through the 28th. Now, it's kind of interesting because there's just like a few rooms left. One, one day I got the news, there's no rooms left, but there are a few rooms left. So if you want to go to that Prime Timers retreat, which I hear is just a blast, talk to Bill or Nancy today and, and uh, be sure and get signed up for that because I know that's going to be just a wonderful weekend. And you can also go for the day as well if you don't want to stay overnight. But we are so, so glad that you are all here to worship with us today. And just thank you so very much for coming any more information, you can find times, dates, all of that right here in this handout. So be sure and take one of those with you. Quick uh, fun story. Speaking of glad you're here, we've got uh, new friends with us this morning. It was at Colorado District Assembly week before last, and a guy came across the floor in that uh, church and said, to me, did you go to the Bellows Avenue Church of the Nazarene? Well, I went to the Bellows Avenue Church of the Nazarene until I was nine years old. It was the first church that we were ever a part of, my family, my grandfather. And it turns out, to make a long story short, this guy was the pastor's son, the pastor that married my 
parents, the first pastor we had ever had, and my mom babysat this guy. And we met at Colorado District Assembly 50, well, no, actually 60 years later. I was two when he left that church. So it's good to have Gary and Brenda Everett. Would you just stand and let our church here welcome you? Isn't that something? Small world. Leslie, come on up here. Three weeks ago, uh, I preached from the parable of the talents, that story that Jesus told about an owner of an estate who went on a business trip, and he left his estate in charge of three servants. To one he gave five talents, to another three. You come on right up, stand with me. One, five talents, one, three talents, one, one talent. And that day, you can hold that, that day we gave out $20 to Leslie, $10 to Kanisha, she reported last week, and $5 to Bernie. A rumor has it Bernie has left the state with that $5. <laughs> but I'm hoping she'll get back. And we said we'd have a report from him. Kanisha reported last week, and this is Leslie's turn to report. So tell us what you did with the $20. And hold that mic about right here so everybody yeah, can hear you. I'm really loud, though. Well, that's okay. If you okay. get too loud, your husband's running sound today, well, so I'm he'll just turn you off. Because he did this to my foot. Well, don't, don't tell us that. Okay. Don't fall off the platform. It's well, going to be tricky here this morning. I'm just saying. Throw that out. So what do you got in the envelope? Okay, well, I did what any good southern girl would do. You know, my mother told me if you ever had an extra 20, you go get your own savings account so you don't have to, you know, gotcha. ask anybody for anything. Okay. So I've gotten it to about three grand. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, I sharpened my scissors. Yeah, you I'm cut a, hair. I'm a cosmetologist okay. since 83, and I'd like to start doing it here at the church. Hold that right up okay. there. Okay, I'm there scared go. I'm going to be too You're high. good. No, you're okay. fine. And I ended up making $122. Wow, cutting hair, cutting hair in between your in, other jobs. In between my 12-hour a day job. Wow, that's a pretty good investment. So five times. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. If I knew more people, I would have gotten a lot more money. Well, that's a little free advertising just now. Absolutely. If you need a haircut, Absolutely. Leslie might be your person. And we talked this morning, Leslie wants to use that money and her ability to cut hair to maybe help some others. Like I told her about getting connected to a Methodist lady in town that's mm -hmm. trying to connect with homeless people and provide medical care. You could cut their hair. I used to go to uh, nursing homes and help with a lot of friends, grandparents, and yeah. I always would hit the young mothers because they didn't want to bring their babies into fancy salons and not be able to enjoy their time. Yeah. So when they're in their own element at home, it's easy for us just to visit and do the hair, and yep. the mother gets to enjoy it as yep. well. And we talked about uh, giving some of that money as a donation to a good cause. Absolutely. Once again, Leslie, Kanisha did it last week, and I'm expecting Bernie will get back in town and report the same. All of us have time, we have talent, and we've got money that well, God we has money. wanted us to enjoy and wants us to have our needs met, but want us to invest that in others. And I'm grateful for these three ladies that have uh, taken on this challenge, and thank you for what you're doing. Absolutely. Let's give her a that big hand. Fun. That was fun. Yeah. 
Help her down that uh, street. I'll take this right here. Uh, sure. Please take it because okay. I'm the one that's the poor. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Leslie. You guys are great around here. Well, while we receive the uh, morning tithes and offerings and invite our ushers to come, we've got a little video clip that uh, is appropriate for this weekend and ends up being a good introduction to the message that I'd like to preach uh, today. So God bless you as you give, and thank God for all that he's given to us. Amen? We're grateful. Freedom. It's something we cherish in this country. The idea of a free society is embedded into the very core of our nation. Many have died defending it and many have fought diligently to preserve it. So where has it gone? We've become a nation bound by division, chained by hatred, and consumed by selfishness. There's an epidemic of violence, poverty, brokenness. Does this look like freedom? The Bible tells us we're called to be free. But it also says to use that freedom to serve one another humbly, in love. Maybe that's what we're missing in America. Today, we celebrate Independence Day. Perhaps it's time we recognize that true independence is found only in a lasting dependence on God. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll continue our worship this morning. There's revival and it's spreading like a wildfire in my heart. Sunday morning, hallelujah, and it's lasting all week long. Can you hear it? Can you feel it? It's the rhythm of a gospel song.
for being here, Lord. Thank you for being here, Jesus. We love you.
for being trustworthy. Thank you for your faithfulness, your new every morning mercies, oh God. Help us to receive those today. And help us to trust you more. Strengthen our faith these days, oh God, even in these moments that we have together in this, this place, as we hear your word, as we receive communion, God. Strengthen our faith. Brighten our hopes, stir our hearts, fill us again with your spirit, oh God, I pray. We thank you for your promises, like pine trees in the rocky mountains of scripture. God, we uh, stand on those promises today. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Lord Jesus, thank you for praying for us today. At the right hand of the Father, knowing what it's like to be here, knowing what it's like to walk in our shoes, Father. We just are grateful for all, all your blessings and all your, all your grace. Thank you for the mercy that's allowed us to see this day. Uh, Father, we pray for our country today. We pray for healing. We pray for unity. We pray for a a coming together to face the challenges that we have. God, I pray today that your church would lead the way in repentance. Help us, your people, to humble ourselves and pray and seek your face and turn from any way that isn't pleasing to you. Father, we pray for those that are struggling today, those that may be dealing with sickness, those that uh, perhaps are up against hard times financially having struggles in their marriage or relationships, God, uh, perhaps we all know someone, we lift them up to you, pray that you draw near, wherever they are, oh God, draw close, bring healing and help and hope to them. Now God, we pray that you give us ears to hear your word, hearts open to the work that you want to do through us and in us and among us, oh God. Father, we pray all these things with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated there. Good to be together on this Lord's Day, amen? Looking around and seeing a good number of people that I don't recognize. Maybe you're just passing through this weekend. Maybe you're back from some long journey, I don't know, but uh, Kelly and I would love to meet you after service if we haven't met you yet, and in case you haven't met us, we're here for nine months, 
uh, about three months in and uh, loving this church family and uh, just loving this area. I'll refer to back home a few times in the message today, as has been my habit probably every Sunday that I've preached here. Back home for us is Maryland, where we pastored the Church of the Nazarene for 35 years. And uh, now we find ourselves in this next chapter doing some interim pastoral work, and uh, it's, all, it's all good. I thought about, uh, as I prepared the message for today, one of my hopes as a preacher is that uh, my preaching maybe this is true for the other pastors that are here, uh, that it would have a ripple effect. I, uh, I realized early on in my ministry that uh, preaching is a ministry of reminder. You don't often hear something that you haven't heard on a Sunday morning, but we need reminded of it. And uh, part of the ripple effect is for you to hear the word and then go and remind others of something they may need to hear again. Uh, for us, that may include our kids, our grandkids. It may include a brother or sister in Jesus, a neighbor, a friend. And I hope that uh, that's true uh, today. It's been a while probably since you've seen a good picture of our granddaughter, so I thought in, before I preached, I better, I better show you Emmy. Again, it's been a while. Don't want to get emails complaining about not seeing her granddaughter. Isn't she just the cutest kid? And I know some of you are thinking, yeah, the second cutest grandbaby I've seen recently. Anyway, thank God for them. Here's my message this morning. Freedom in Christ. Chosen in part because this is July 4th weekend when we celebrate two things, really. Uh, the independence we gained from England in 1776. It's hard to believe that we're almost 50 years past our bicentennial. How many remember our bicentennial? Just like it was yesterday. Uh, back home, we would have a July 4 picnic most years, and I always we had a couple of English guys in our congregation. We were a very diverse congregation. And I used to have fun with that. On July 4th picnic, I'd suggest that we have a reenactment of the Revolutionary War and say, all you Brits on this side, all you have went over about that good back there too. On this weekend, we also celebrate the freedoms that we enjoy in this country, including the freedom to gather and worship without hindrance and without fear as we're doing today. Thanks be to God. Now, that doesn't happen everywhere in the world. Back home, one year, the district superintendent for the Church of the Nazarene in Myanmar, uh, Burma, showed up with one of his pastors at uh, the Gaithersburg Church where we were, and uh, that pastor had been harassed and uh, uh, hindered in his ministry in Myanmar and had uh, gotten out of the country. And we ended up working with him to uh, gain asylum. And after he gained that, then he tried to get his wife and two children uh, out of that uh, country. And after a couple of years, successfully did that. And they've been enjoying life in these United States, in Maryland, ever since. Religious freedom, national independence, 
good things. But there is a freedom greater than either of those, a freedom that anyone can experience, regardless of country or color or creed. Amen? The Apostle Paul reminds us of that freedom in Galatians chapter 5, and I'd invite you to take your Bibles or open up those apps and turn to that uh, fifth chapter of Galatians. Paul's first letter and the oldest document that we have in the New Testament, written a mere 15 years or so after the time of Jesus. Galatians chapter 5, I'll begin reading at verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, Watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. That is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That last verse creates uh, quite a picture of what we do to each other. Uh, that is, to the fellowship of the church, with, when with our words and reactions we are not responding to each other in love. And using our words to build each other up, which Kelly encouraged us to do in that good message she preached last Sunday, amen? And that 12th verse, why don't those agitators, I don't know that I even want to read the message translation, wow, you go Paul. In understanding the freedom that the apostle was talking about in this chapter, it would be helpful to know who those agitators are, actually, and why Paul is so fired up about them. Paul is uh, dealing with a group that were stirring up trouble in the church in Galatia and elsewhere that we've come to know as Judaizers. The term Judaizers refers to Jewish Christians who sought to require Gentiles to observe 
Jewish religious customs in order to be a part of the church. In fact, in order to be saved. Check out uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 1. And a lot of those Judaizers were Pharisees, formally. Apparently, even the apostle Peter was being influenced by these uh, Judaizers. If you go back to chapter 2 in this same Galatian letter, Paul writes that when Peter came to Antioch on one occasion, I had to oppose him to his face. I, I've always thought this is interesting that Paul would include this little bit about Peter in one of his letters to the churches. At verse 12 in chapter 2, he says, For before certain men came from James, who was one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, the Judaizers. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, how is it that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Paul, in no uncertain terms, says you can't do that. In fact, back in chapter 1, verse 8, he says to the Galatians, I don't care if your district superintendent or an angel from heaven gives you that message. Don't believe it. I threw that district superintendent line in there just because Judy was here, who's our district superintendent's wife. But Paul was for real. Why was Paul so adamant about that? Here's why. Because to have believed that one had to be circumcised or keep any other part of the law in order to be in or to be saved flew in the face of the gospel that he had preached to the Galatian believers. The freedom in Christ that Paul is reminding the Galatians and us of is freedom from this idea that we have to or that we even can be justified, be saved by keeping the law. Or in 2.15, by keeping God's commands. Or in 3.3, by human effort. And that's what it comes down to. Our freedom in Christ includes more than that. And we ought to celebrate the fact that we can be free from the power of sin. Think about that. Not just forgiven but changed. We can overcome that, that sinful nature in us that turns us in on ourselves and that always harms and destroys. Our freedom in Christ includes the freedom from the fear of death. We don't have to fear death anymore. This isn't all there is. We're going to live forever. And one day, freedom from suffering and death itself. Each of those worthy of a message and worth celebrating. But here the Apostle Paul is reminding us all that our freedom in Christ includes freedom from thinking that we need to or can earn salvation, that we have to or can live up, measure up when it comes to the holiness of God. In Christ, you know the good news, don't you? We are saved by grace through faith. And that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Imagine you're in a courtroom. 
charged with a crime, and you are guilty as the day is long. You're ushered into the courtroom, handcuffed, shackles around your ankles, the clatter of those chains as they uh, usher you down that center aisle of the courtroom to appear before the judge can be heard throughout the room. And you're standing there before the judge, and the evidence is uh, presented, and it's overwhelming. There is no doubt that you committed that crime. But when it comes time for the judgment, the gavel slams down on that judge's bench, and he says with a smile, not guilty, let him go. That's what it means to be saved by grace through faith. Praise be to his name. Romans 5, 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That we are saved by grace through faith is at the heart of the gospel. In great measure, it is the good news of Jesus. Paul wanted these Galatian believers to understand and experience that, and he was ticked off at these Judaizers. And frustrated with the Galatians. Verse 7, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Or back it up to chapter 3, verse 1, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Why was Paul frustrated with the Galatians? Because they were giving in to these guys, giving in to this idea, and it was stealing the joy and the peace that he wanted them to experience being made free in Jesus. One commentator writes this, When the Galatians were converted, they related to God with the joyful confidence of children, calling Him Abba, Father, through the Spirit. But their confidence in God's grace had been badly shaken by these false teachers. They were confused and discouraged. And that can happen to us, too. Always have a heart for the folks that are in there doing all they can and never quite live up in their own minds and hearts and don't experience that joy and peace they can in the Lord Jesus. Anybody like that here today? If we could fully grasp grace as Nazarenes, That'd be a good thing. I think I'm still trying to get there. Charles Wesley experienced it, and he, uh, he testified to it in a verse from one of the hymns that he wrote. You might recognize it. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon Flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Oh, I ought to get an amen or two out of that. The title of that hymn is, And Can It Be? And the answer is yes. <laughs> Praise be to his name. So there's a flip side to this. And it's why Paul pivots at verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called 
to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. It's interesting that one of the other things that Paul and perhaps the other apostles faced in preaching the good news of saved by grace is that some said, sweet, if I'm not saved by the law, that probably means I don't have to keep the law. In fact, after Paul taught that where sin abounds, grace abounds more, Romans 5.20, there were folks who said, hey, let's sin a lot so that grace can just abound a lot. So it turns out people were misconstruing the message of saved by grace on two sides there. I want to take this opportunity to talk a bit about the place of God's commands and obedience to them in this new relationship of grace that we have in Christ. Our being saved by grace through faith doesn't exempt us from keeping the commands of God. Amen? If I go back to that Roman letter after uh, the folks heard that message of uh, grace abounding where sin abounded more, Paul writes, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it? any longer freedom doesn't mean you can do whatever you want not in these United States where for example you're free to bear arms but not free to shoot your neighbor if his dog poo-poo's in your front yard and not in our life in Christ Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law but to fulfill it The freedom we have in Christ regarding the law is that we're not dependent on the law and our ability to keep it to save us. But that doesn't mean we can disregard God's commands. Amen? In fact, when you're saved by grace through faith, when you are made new in Christ, when you're reconciled to God the Father, when He makes that change in your heart, when you're adopted into His family... Doing God's will, doing what he asks us to do will be your desire. Amen? You'll want to do what God asks you to do. That was Paul's testimony, 1 Corinthians 15. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I but the grace of God that was with me. I said I have a heart for those that just are in there doing all that they need to be doing and more, but never quite feel like they they live up. I have a heart for them. I know a few of them. I've been there, done that. I also have a heart for those who profess faith in Christ in whose life there doesn't seem to be much effect. Being saved by grace doesn't mean that we don't do what God has asked us to do, and doing what God asks us to do isn't always easy. 
Amen? But it will be our desire. The difference between believing you have to do what God says uh, to do to earn his favor and doing it as a willing response to his grace and goodness may be like the difference between uh, uh, studying for those SATs whose score will determine whether you get into the college that you want. Lots of pressure. (laughs) And just reading a good book or studying something for the sheer joy of learning. It's like the difference between working for a pain in the you-know-what boss who never has anything good to say working for somebody you just love to death that treats you so well. Or maybe the difference between the draft and volunteering to serve. We want to do God's will. What's more, by the sanctifying work of God, and by that I mean the the real change that he makes in us, these surrendered lives, the Holy Spirit bears the fruit of love in us. And when we love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and our neighbor as ourselves, we will fulfill the law. Verse 14, Paul says the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm thinking that Paul is thinking if you genuinely love your neighbor, that is flowing from your genuine love for God. So you can sum it up in that one. Just like there were those in Paul's day that thought freedom meant license, I think there's a brand of Christian faith these days that dismisses the commands of God as optional or outdated. The average Christian these days gathers like we're gathering here 1.7 times a month, gives 2.5% of their income uh, in offering while spending six times that on recreation and entertainment. These are the average American Christians. They do little for the poor. They have little knowledge of the scripture. And on the list goes. Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what I command. So back to freedom. It seems there are two ways you can miss the mark, or maybe three, when it comes to our freedom in Christ. You can indulge yourself, think that freedom means all those commands don't apply anymore, and essentially do as you please, or at least compromise a bunch, rationalize a bunch of that stuff away. Or you can be like the Judaizers and get all pharisaical about the commands of God and the rules and Uh, Keep those, but miss the relationship and the love (laughs) and the grace and judge others by those rules. Or you can be doing all that you think is right and never feel like you live up. Those are three bad options. The solution, this really struck me again this week. The solution to all of those I think, is genuinely, deep down in our souls, experiencing the love and grace of God. 
that on the one hand compels you to do what he says to do, freeing you from what is essentially a self-centered life. Paul said at 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all die. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. It compels you. You experience the love of the one who laid down his life for his friends. And you want to love others. You want to be obedient. You want to serve. Experiencing that love and grace has that effect. And on the other hand, opens your heart and frees you from a self-saving, can-never-do-enough, joyless life. You with me? It was about this uh, point in my, uh, you know, final preparation this morning that I got to thinking about this, this matter of experiencing the love and grace of God. I mean, if that's the key here, how does that happen? And I can only think of two ways. From God himself in times of prayer and worship, together or alone. Have you had those times? Literally, when you felt the love of God. I want to feel it. I want to experience that. I don't want to just sing about it. I don't want to just sermonize about it. I don't want to just hear about it. I want to experience it. Can we? Absolutely we can. And it makes that time alone with God, uh, unhindered, unhurried. When I linger in His presence, when I open His Word, when I open my heart, there have been some extraordinary times over the course of my 52 years of following Jesus when I've really just experienced that. I, I, I can imagine the places, the times in my life, and, and then there are just those daily times that I set aside. I, I'm never disappointed. Now, once in a while, it's not fantastic, but that's one way. What's the other way that we experience the love and grace of God in our lives? It's through each other. In fact, not experiencing that from others is probably the biggest hindrance from ever believing that we could experience that from God. Are you tracking with me? Take a glance around you real quick. Just go ahead. Left, right, behind you, in front of you. You are looking at the most significant means of grace in the Christian life. It's all about relationship. If, if the key to not being a Pharisee, a Judaizer, a, or a joyless, doing all the right things, but never experiences peace, is experiencing the love and grace of God, then we need to spend time with Him and with each other and making sure with God's help that we're being a means of grace to each other and not biting and devouring each other. Okay, back on track here. That might be the best thing I say. I don't know. 
I've tried to, I've wrestled with this tension between, you know, my effort, grace, and all that a lot in my life. Uh, and the best I can come up with is, because there is effort, the best I can come up with is it's like working hard at something you really enjoy. Like, I love playing ball, and so I can practice my, my free throws all day or, you know, batting practice or whatever. Uh, it, it, can be, it can be hard work, but I love it. And it's that way with the effort that I make as a follower of Jesus. One of these days, I would like to apply this message to the uh, lifestyle practices and character traits that uh, we Nazarenes encourage on those of us that uh, are a part of our church. But I think I'll save that for another day. In conclusion, if I told you one of my favorite jokes of all time, what does it mean when a pastor says in conclusion? Absolutely nothing. But truly, this is in conclusion. Friends, in Christ, we are free. The prison door has swung open. The bright sunlight of the great outdoors comes streaming in. The fresh air, we're breathing it. Praise be to his name. It's an awesome privilege. But with it comes responsibility. We're free for a reason. If our experience of grace is genuine, it's a responsibility we will willingly accept. A few weeks ago, I told you about one of my young friends back home that I used to play basketball with, and uh, he got in trouble, arrested for armed robbery, assault and battery, ended up in jail. Right before we left, I was riding him from here. Um, found out just a few weeks ago he got out early. I was picturing Lucas coming out of that Montgomery County jail being met by a guy in our church that's been like a dad to him the last few years. And two words came to my mind that I'm almost certain describe him. Happy and determined. In his last letter to me from that jail cell, he, uh, he said he'd recognize the error of his ways recognized that there were good people trying to lead him in a good way and there were some not so good people leading him astray and when he got out he was going to do better and I believe he he is that he will that's us for sure I want to be happy and determined as I enjoy this freedom in Christ one more last thought before Kelly comes to lead us in this time of communion. I'm always reminded of it uh, on a weekend like this and other times throughout the year. Freedom isn't free. We've been here three months. I have met a couple dozen veterans. I've told you before, my stepdad was a career army 
two terms of duty in Vietnam. I'll never forget the, uh, the time that my mom and stepdad came to visit us in Gaithersburg, Maryland, just 30 minutes north of Washington, D.C., and I took my stepdad down to the Vietnam War Memorial. That, uh, that wall with hundreds, thousands of names written on uh, that marble and granite of men and women who had given their lives in the service of their country in that war. My stepdad was not a crier. In fact, he was about as stoic as you could get. I'll never forget him standing in front of that wall, tears streaming down his face as he looked at the names of those, uh, those soldiers. Freedom isn't free. We're going to celebrate a sacrament that reminds us of the price paid and the love displayed for us today. We're grateful for it, aren't we? Praise be to his name. Ellie's going to come and lead us through this holy, holy time. We're going to celebrate communion, the sacrament, a time that we do remember the price that Jesus paid for our freedom, freedom from sin, the eternal life, that we gain because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, but the freedom that we have to love and to be loved by each other, and the freedom that we have to be forgiven and to forgive each other. We are free to do that because of Jesus' death on the cross. I want to read to you from Luke 22, the Last Supper. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus willingly went to the cross, his body broken, his blood poured out for you, because he loves you so very, very much. And he here he was, eagerly desiring to share this final meal with those that he loved, with those who he was close with, his friends that had become his family, just kind of like the church, kind of like you, kind of like all of us here, the church, 
family, eagerly desiring to share in this sacrament together. And that's what we get to do this morning. I'm going to invite Pastor Ben and Pastor Scott to come up. They're going to serve you. I'm going to invite you to stand and just come on up, take the elements, and then take them back to your seats, and we're going to eat and drink together as a family. So feel free to stand and come on up and take the elements. It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took the bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. It was broken for each one of us. Let's take it and eat it and be thankful. That same night, Jesus took the cup and said, because I love you, my blood is shed for your salvation and for your freedom. Let's take and drink and be thankful. Jesus, we thank you so very much for what you did for us. We thank you, Father, for struggling there on the cross, for the pain that you endured 
so that we could be free. We thank you so much for the eternal life that you have provided for us through your death on the cross. We thank you, Lord, for our freedom from sin so that we can live in relationship with one another. We thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray for each and every one here that they know the love that you have for them. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's continue to worship the Lord with gladness.
the prayer of our hearts as we leave here today. One of my favorite scriptures comes from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May it be so. Leave here and overflow with hope in a world that needs the hope of Jesus Christ. May it be so. God bless you. You are dismissed.